blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. Even when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will praise you. Let's stand together as we sing. Blessing you. 
Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. Thank you so much for taking the opportunity and the time to be here today. I hope that you have been able to, if this is a, your first time to be here, to fill out one of our guest cards. And we ask you for that information so that we can make contact with you, so I can get in contact with you this next week. If you haven't done that yet, we'd love for you to take the opportunity to take the card in the pew in front of you and fill it out in its entirety when you leave today. One of the four offering boxes at each of the exits, if you'd just drop it in there, we would certainly appreciate that. It has been a marvelous week. Last week we talked about the revival taking place at Ash, uh, Ashbury University in Kentucky. At that time, it had been in its fourth day. And today is the twelfth day been going 24 hours a day. That little town of about 5,000 has doubled in size this week. They've closed it down, there's no parking, but I want you to know that at every auditorium they have and churches opening up their buildings, more than 5,000 people are going to those services, waiting outside, worshiping outside in the cold weather, waiting, lines waiting to get into any of those chapels to see what God is doing. And it's interesting because from, and I've read, been reading a lot of different firsthand experiences through that process, and we, what we find is that they sense the heavy presence of the Lord in that place. It started as just a normal chapel service, like they do every Wednesday. Like a normal worship service when we come to. But things began to take place, and God's Spirit came down upon that place, as it did some 53 years ago, and there are other places as well, and this has continued. In this time, has continued to spread to over 20 college campuses, where there are hundreds gathering at different locations. I, I read that in Uganda, this has spurred a spiritual movement that in this last week, more than 1,000 people came to know Christ through some of these encounters. Now I want you to understand that this is not prescribed and this is not organized. And no matter how much we want spiritual awakening and revival, it doesn't just automatically happen. It takes people who are willing to step outside of themselves, outside of how we protect ourselves, and it takes the opportunity for us to hear God speak in our lives and our willingness to confess sin, not just name it off, but repent of it, to move from it, and to cry out and realize that God is the only, God is the only one who is adequate to take care of us and to forgive us and to let his spirit move in our lives. We have to be willing so many of us like to control those things. There are critics out there that are looking at this spiritual movement of God. Uh, pastors, theologians, secular media, and they're scrutinizing everything. And we can certainly organize those kinds of negativity and those kinds of thoughts and foster those. But I want you to understand that God will not be denied no matter of the distractors. Many people who look at this 
and scrutinize it and are skeptical. They actually have never experienced a movement of God in their lives, no matter how long they have been believers, no matter what kind of intellectual education they might have, no longer how long they have been pastoring. In my 40 years of ministry, there's only been one time in my ministry where that has happened, and it was something that I could not orchestrate or plan January of 1990, God moved in our congregation in New Mexico through confession and prayer and repentance in that service where the entire congregation came to repentance. It was the most powerful movement I had ever experienced in my life. But it was a touch of God. What God did in purifying that congregation at that time, it continued in our ministries for five years. The effects of spiritual awakening and revival, God's mighty movement, it affects so many. And so my prayer is that we would pray for the spiritual movement. And that we would not only pray for it, but that God might even touch us. That we might even be open to hearing what God says. And as I told the prayer group early this morning, that he might put his spotlight in the crevices of our mind and heart and soul where we think is, is dark and nobody knows, that he might bring to light things in our lives that we need to lay and confess before him. And have the openness for God's spirit to move powerfully in our lives and in our church corporately as his body. So I'd ask you to join me today, this morning, and continue to pray. There is a movement of God even in our midst, in our season, that is powerful, not for show, not for any other reason, but to glorify God and give him praise and glory and to show this world that Almighty God is the answer. Would you join me, please? Father, we pray together as this body of Christ. Lord, we celebrate what's going on in Ashbury and, and other places that um, because of the kind of technological world we live in, these things are broadcast. And, and Father, they are starting fires in so many places, not only in our country, but around the world. But there is so much need. And we ask for the power of your spirit that only you have the ability to bring about, to bring about a spiritual movement in our church as well, in each one of us. That our spiritual hunger, no matter what level of maturity we are in our faith in Christ, that God today, we would yearn and, and ask you to speak to us and to reveal to us how we can best the person that you want us to be in you. Cleansed, ready for service, and most importantly, ready to honor you, to worship you. So God, we join together with brothers and sisters all around this world asking you to continue the movement that has started, to have long-lasting effects 
that would not only better the world, but would lead them to a saving knowledge of Christ and would lead believers to true repentance and a desire and a hunger to worship you and serve you in a way no other, very few, have experienced. And so as we worship today, we worship with ex expectancy. And God, we ask for your presence to be known and our sensitivity to the power of your spirit. Father, we want to give this service over to you, control of it, whatever. But God, you would use the elements of worship to speak to us boldly. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <coughs> That beloved course made popular back in the 70s by the Gaithers. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God.
Please join with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray, Father, that everything we do, every task we undertake, every person we meet, that they will know we are Christians by our love, Lord. I pray, Father, that as we go throughout each week, that we are ever mindful of your presence in our life and that others will see you through us. Lord, we pray for a great revival to continue in this land, in this world. We thank you for the evidence of it we see today. And Father, we just ask you to be with the pastor this morning as he brings your message. That our hearts will be touched as we go forth. Again, that people will see we are Christians by our love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're singing beautifully this morning. Thank you. We are one in the bond of love.
Our scripture reading today is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. We hope you are blessed by this reading. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Thank you for sharing these words, for these are the words of the Lord. There's no 
Choir, thank you so much. The men have been studying Ezekiel, and I tell you, I'm sorry. We've been studying Elijah. Elijah, thank you. <laughs> There's so many names in that song, I was trying to figure out which one it was. <laughs> And it's only that I've been teaching that, so it's, you know, it's one of those things that you should know, right? One of the things that we, we have determined about Ezekiel, and as the song has said, every step along the way, there is this, this sense that God has always had his people as the voice of the prophets in the desert. No matter how dark times come, because they've always been dark somewhere in the world. No matter how dark, God always, always has his plan. And they're always communicating the year of Jubilee, the year of freedom. And that comes through Jesus Christ. And one of these days, he's going to be coming back. And we'll be ready. But there's so many in the world that are not ready. And we must do everything we can as believers in Christ to live a life, as Paul said in Philippians, that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that's where we pick up in our study on Philippians this morning. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, which Larry read just a few moments ago. If we go back to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, he stated, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the gospel, for the faith of the gospel. In that passage last week, the 27th verse, and our passage today in these first few verses of chapter 2, the focus is on withstanding the pressure from outside and standing together as one man contending for the gospel, that this should be our purpose, this should be our goal, this is where we are headed together, not fragmented out. And in, in chapter 2, he continues that, not only dealing with the pressure from outside, but listen, from attitudes that we should have that should characterize every single believer in Jesus Christ. So in verse 27, he exhorted them to understand the need for unity. Here's the rationale that we must be unified. And at the same time, we find that uh, he continues and says, listen, here's how this is going to unfold. Not only do you need it, and here's the picture of it, but here's how you engage it in your life. It's a very practical process. And so this passage basically unfolds in three parts. To chart, chart our, our course toward a unified mind, as he said, one spirit as one man contending for the faith of the gospel. He says in verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Here we find that there are four phrases and five words that are absolutely the basis for Paul's appeal to this church at Philippi and to us today as well. These statements are introduced by the term if. It's an interesting word because that word if 
tends to have some kind of doubt with it. My dad used to say, well, son, if a snake had wings, it would be a really skinny bird. <laughs> he would say this when I would talk about something I was looking at with that doubt. But that's not what Paul's saying here. If you go back to the Greek and even interpret it into the English in some translations, there is no doubt about this. There is no hesitancy. In fact, a better word would be translated assuming. He's saying assuming you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, assuming if you have any comfort from his love, assuming that you have any fellowship with the Spirit, assuming you have tenderness and compassion. Paul is writing and says, listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, these are the qualities that you should have. These are the things that should flow through your mind with your heart and your attitude. These are the kinds of things that people ought to see in your lives because these are the things that we have in common that they had in common with Paul, Paul had in common with them, and we have in common with each of us. So Paul goes on then to share the blessings of the Christian community. This is what we have being believers in Jesus Christ. It's what brings joy to Paul. It's what brings joy to Christ. And it's what should bring joy to each of us. These five terms, these four phrases, are not just one we should read quickly, but we should apply and internalize. First, he says, encouragement. He states, assuming you have any encouragement with being united in Christ. Here, this term is a term that's warm. It's a term that's gentle. Here, Paul is communicating their common experience with Christ. The common denominator with every single person that is reading this as he is writing is that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They are united with Christ. They realize their sin, realize Christ was the only one to eradicate that sin, and so they've accepted Christ into their lives, each and every one. That is that common denominator. And he says, listen, assuming that you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, what does that do? It gives us hope. When we gave our life to Christ, it changed everything radically. It transformed us. Even as children, it transformed how we would continue to grow and to live. It gives us the power of his spirit inside of us that helps us to grow and, and discern and to yearn for him. He says, listen, assuming that you have encouragement, that blessing from being a believer in Christ, united with him, together with other believers. And then he says, comfort, the blessing of the comfort of his love. He says, assuming that you have the comfort from his love. What is his love like? Christ's love for his people is shown by his complete <laughs> sacrifice. It is unconditional. And when you give your life to Christ, he loves you as much at that point as he loves you today, or he will ever love you. You don't work to gain his love. He gives it completely. comfort 
as believers in Christ, one of the blessings that we have is not only being united with him, which gives encouragement in so many different ways, but also that comfort to know that he loves us. <laughs> it's, a, it's a simple thing. But it is powerful to me. I got to, to see my little twin grandson yesterday, and, and one of the things that was encouraging to me is, is a little hawk was given to me, and all he could do was hold on for dear life. He loved that comfort of being hugged. That's exactly what Christ does for us. We are united with him, and he gives us comfort, no matter what things we face in the world. But the term here, comfort, literally means uh, a word which comes to the side of one to stimulate or to comfort him. It has the idea of, of, uh, of consolation, tender persuasion, encouragement. In other words, it helps us step by step along the road to know that no matter what happens in our life, he is the one there to comfort, to encourage us. These believers at Philippi were comforted by God's love. It started with the salvation. And that same love encouraged them to have a spirit of unity and loving each other. That's what Paul's trying to get to. Listen, assuming that you have that encouragement with Christ, being united with him, and assuming that you have the comfort of his love, which is unconditional, that should flow through your mind and heart, that you give comfort to one another, and you love one another like he has loved us. And then he goes on to the third, which is fellowship. The fellowship... He communicates here, assuming that you have any common sharing of the Spirit. It refers to the Holy Spirit. Obviously, when we give our life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. As Paul said, it's the down payment of the hope which is guaranteed. The hope of eternal life, and he's given us that seed. He's given us his Spirit. The question that some have raised is well, what does this exactly mean is is it the fellowship brought by the spirit or is it fellowship in the spirit because they they go two different directions but i think paul clarifies that in second corinthians 13 13 when he basically speaks in favor of fellowship produced by the spirit when paul wrote the corinthian church he said all the saints send their greetings why would a church in Corinth send their greetings to a church in Philippi it's because there is that common bond there is that fellowship together and it is produced by God's Spirit who lives inside of each of one of us you can come across and and I have heard others that travel internationally say you know I have met different people and I can tell almost immediately that there is a common bond between us that is that fellowship that he is talking about it is a a common life listen the church is not a building it is not an organization it is the family of persons that share a common life together and that's who we are we are not individuals that just wherever we are that's where we live and we just kind of gather together on a particular Sunday we are a family of faith we are a body of Christ we have that common bond Christ itself and that that common life together is a gift 
of the Spirit who gives us life by regeneration, that is by allowing us to have a, the ability to confess our sins and ask Christ to come into our life and transforms our life. So he gives us life in that way. And he gives us life which reveals itself in love and trust that we should be able to love each other. We should be able to trust each other. And he gives us that eternal life that we have together. We are temporal. This is just a time we're passing through. Uh, one of these days we're going to be in eternity. And we're going to be all together along with so many millions and millions of others who have given their life to Christ through the course of history. It's just going to be an incredible family. I want you to understand, even though we have that blessing and that gift of God's Spirit bringing us together in that common bond, and even though it is a gift of God, this fellowship must be nurtured by the body. It's not automatic. Paul was basically telling the church, said, listen, since you have been bought by the Spirit into the life shared together, by God and his church, then live in love, in humility, and in service one to another. Those are amazing characteristics, blessings that we ought to have. He says, since you have been brought together, you have this common bond. Each of you have the Holy Spirit. He is living inside of you. So make sure that you live life together in love, humility, service with one another and the last two words that he talks about as far as blessings that come from our our uh, our salvation being one in the body is the tenderness and compassion you notice here he does not mention the word judgment he does not say uh, and by the way one of the one of the blessings you have is to judge one another it's not what it says it says tenderness and compassion these are Incredible terms. They, they are both terms that refer to the mercy shown to them by God. God showed us tenderness and compassion when Christ came. Because we didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. I know for certain I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve his tenderness and his compassion. I had nothing to do that. I went the other direction. I deserved to be judged. I deserved everything that I should have gotten, but through his tenderness and his compassion, he reached out and put his loving arms around me through Christ. These terms, there's strong emotional appeal, and when he put them together and combined them together, these two statements became so powerful. The church had a common experience of grace, and the Apostle Paul was building upon that we talk about the Holy Spirit, he provides that kind of fellowship. He allows that to take place. And, and I, I think what he's trying to get across is that if we follow the tenderness and compassion, as well as the encouragement, the comfort, and the fellowship, he says, listen, this is what's going to happen within the family of faith. You're going to be at peace with one another, not at odds. He goes on to say, listen, little differences, they're going to be patched up. 
estrangements are going to be healed. Bickerings will cease because you're no longer trying to judge or nitpick at things. You realize we are this family life. Each one of us have the power of God's Spirit living inside of us. And we're to love each other, even though we're different. Paul's appeal to these believers were to have unity, no matter how different you are. We come together with this common bond of blessings that God has given us. So Paul is making this appeal toward unity. And he said, here are the blessings that you have in these four phrases and five words that mean everything to us. And then he goes on to talk about the essence of the unity. He says in, in the first part of verse 2, he says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. He said, here are these things that you have. You have these five blessings in your life. You are one together. He said, so make my joy complete. Make me happy. Make me excited by being like-minded. Don't let the little things fracture you because the world is watching. And even more importantly, as a family, you ought to be together. There is nothing greater for a parent or a grandparent to see that whether their kids are small or whether they are adults, that your kids are getting along or your grandkids are getting along well. There's a like-mindedness. And it brings joy to us, doesn't it? When they don't, it doesn't bring joy. <laughs> it's hard trying to figure out how can you, how can you impose yourself to help Paul's saying, listen, you're the family of faith here. As the family of faith, make my joy complete by being like-minded. We find that uh, his approach shifted from the blessings that they share in Christ to the church's responsibility. And our responsibility is to love one another, to be like-minded. I want you to understand that his reference suggests the anticipation in his own mind and heart of being able at the, at the end of his day to present a mature body of Christ, a mature group of believers to the Lord. His joy was that his life work would amount to something. Wouldn't that be true for all of us? In the spiritual realm, he is saying, gosh, I, I want my life work, my investment, to be able to present to God and say, God, look at these people. It's not what I've done because you are working in me. You have, have called me to be a, a, a prophet, an ambassador to the Gentiles. But his joy would be to be able to present these that would do something for the kingdom of God and would change the lives of others. I think this is reflected in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Where Paul wrote the church of Thessalonica and he said, For what is our hope, our joy, 
or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. What, is that, what does that mean? It is not a prideful thing on Paul's part. It is simply saying that I've invested my life in, in, in all of you. I want you to be mature when you come before the Lord. And we will glory and we will be joyful in that. That it's been successful. At every point in our Christian life, whether it's the pastor of a church, whether it's a Bible study teacher, whether it's a team leader, whether you are discipling somebody one-on-one, is it the desire of your heart to see them grow and mature in the faith? And it's not prideful on our part. We're called by God to do that. Every one of us in whatever ministry he has called us to, that brings joy to us because we can go and say, look at what God has done. That's what Paul's saying. His personal appeal is a way encouraging them to say listen move on for the glory of God and so he challenges them listen I don't want you to be divided I want you to be mature I I desire that to be like-minded it's kind of interesting that word like-minded is used 10 times in this book it's used 23 times in all of Paul's writings it is a key issue for him it speaks not only to the intellect that we're like-minded in the way that we think, our intelligence, our critical thought. But it goes on beyond that to, to include our will and our emotions, the very essence of our being. And he says, this is what I want you to do. And, and when that comes together, it's a comprehensive outlook that affects our attitude. Because when we have this idea that we have our intellect and our, uh, our soul and our, our will, our emotions, all of these together, the very essence of who we are and how we make decisions. And we say, you know what? Together with all of that, we're like-minded. We have this common purpose moving forward. And he says it changes our attitude so that, you know, little things don't bother us. Even big things we can talk about because it might be just a perspective. This is what you need. The purpose to which he has called us, you need to be like-minded. All speaking of values and ambitions. All of those surface through our mind. If we're going to be like-minded, then we need to have the same values and we need to have the same ambitions. This is unity. It's not found in an identical lifestyle. It's not uniformity, but it is unity. It's also not found in personalities because as we look around, we have all kinds of characters here, don't we? <laughs> but Christ has brought us together as a family. It occurs when Christian people have the same values and the same loves. That's what Paul sought for this church. And so he 
he came across and he said, listen, I want you to understand that uh, here's my appeal to you. You have these five blessings. And here's the essence of what like-mindedness and unity should be and how, how Christ should, should bring this together as the family of faith. And then he comes and, and shows how that is expressed in the church. In the latter part of verse 2 and, and through verse 4, he, he has three characteristics that express this unity of the church. The goals that we strive for and the measurements that we can look and see if they are successful. And they're all stated in different ways. He says, first and foremost, you ought to have the same outlook. In the last part of verse 2, he says, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Three ideas here are combined to emphasize the different aspects. See, having the same love as Christ did, he says, that's what you need first. How much love did Christ have? Complete unconditional total sacrifice he says as believers in Christ that's what you ought to have is the same love that Christ did one for another secondly he says you need to have a harmonious affection if you go into into the original language there it, it, there's this word that comes out into English that says like sold s-o-u-l-e-d in other words, not only do you have the same love that he did, which is for each other, which is unconditional, complete, but you are like soul together. There's this idea, and, and, and this word is only used one time right here in the New Testament. It's a powerful word. Recalls in, uh, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse, verse 27, when he says one soul, we work together as one soul together that kind of harmony in our affections with each other he says you have the same love being one in the spirit we all march together with that same understanding and idea and then third it is valuing the same thing valuing the same thing he says listen that's our purpose those are our values. And so together, these speak of the unity found among those who are going in the same direction. There's nothing superficial. There's not just coming together just to try to get along for a little bit or to, to try to influence. The unity comes from the very core of our being, that genuinely we have the same love that Christ had. And in harmony, we are, are like sold. Our souls are together. We're moving together. And we, and we have the same purpose. We have the same values. In other words, we value the things that Jesus valued. It's the very core of our being. It's not just a component of our life. It overrides everything else in the family of faith. So he says we have the same outlook. Secondly, he uh, says in verse 3 that we have to have humility. He says, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. This humility is not when somebody comes and says, well, humbly I ask you to do this. They don't have to say it. 
because you know their life is already humble. And so whatever they ask, you know it's coming from the heart with right motives. Humility. Paul expressed this humility in a negative way and also in a positive way. Negatively, he says, listen, avoid selfish ambition and vain conceit. That's the negative part. He says, don't, don't buy into that. Don't get sucked into that. You remember it was selfish ambition that motivated the, uh, the false preachers that Paul described in chapter 1, verse 17. It's probably fresh on his mind. And so he says, listen, don't go into this sense of family with this idea of selfish ambition. What can I do? And I, I just a quick illustration. I, I've known some business people through the years when they moved into the community or, or when their business was taking off. And they would tell me, he says, well, you know, I'm joining this church because, uh, this is a private conversation, obviously. I'm joining this church because I can see a lot of business leads here. That's, that's, I'm not talking about this church. <laughs> but that is exactly what he's talking about. Don't, don't be a part of the family of faith for selfish ambition. I think that um, the Apostle Paul, when he talks about selfish ambition, means this. The ambition which has no conception of service and whose only aims are profit and power. And so, if any of those things cross our mind, then he says get rid of them. Because you don't come together with the same values and have that in your mind. That you're not going to serve and you're only here for profit and power. And he said, how about the vain conceit? In other words, the seeking of glory. I come here because I want to be known. I, I want the spotlight to fall on me. I want people to pat me on the back and say, man, you're doing a great job. Genuinely, that should be right. But the reality is that that's just empty because the focus is on the individual and it's not on Jesus Christ. One of the things that, that I'm reading over and over again in, in the Ashbury Revival is, is those that are speaking, those that are giving testimony, those that are confessing, those that are praying, that it's, they're only focusing on Jesus. There's no big-name people there. There's no big-name music groups there leading. They're focused on Jesus. And that's what we ought to be. He comes to the positive side. He says, eliminate, eliminate the selfish ambition of vain conceit. But he says, hey, I want you to correct the improper attitudes. I want you to act in humility. This word indicates a, um, a realization that I am not sufficient myself, only God is sufficient. In other words, my dependence on God must supersede anything else. You know, we, we have a strong work ethic. I can do it myself. That started when we were wee little kids. I can do it myself. And it continues on to our adulthood. I can do it myself. And what he's saying is, listen, let go. Let God take care of it because you in your own physical, mental, human self 
will not be able to do this. Humility kind of inserts itself in this, this key here in this passage, but also in uh, verses 5 through 11 that we're going to speak on soon. This idea is literally, he says, count others as excelling over themselves, over yourselves. This includes the mind and values. Uh, most of the versions use the word better. It's also when Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, everything else I've done in life is rubbish compared to my serving Christ. It is better by far. So no matter what we do in our life, we think we elevate it. The reality is, as he's saying here, the better thing to do is to act in humility, depend on God and not yourself, and realize that, uh, that we need to be like Christ in the realm of his humility. It's a standard for us. Christian humility has four basic elements that we've got to realize. Number one, that God has gifted us to serve in his kingdom. Number two, we need to find that or those gifts. And then we need to realize that God has enabled us to do what he's called us to do because he has gifted us. We don't have every gift, but we need to use the ones that he has us and realize that there are other people who have gifts that we need to accept and work together side by side. And last, we've got to answer to God for how we use our gifts for his kingdom. Well, our time is up, and I just want to give you one last thing, and that is consideration. He says we're to have the same outlook, we're to have humility, and third, we're to have consideration. Verse 4, he says, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Whatever concerns others should be everyone's concerns in the family of faith. He's saying to these believers, and he's saying to us, we're to lay aside selfishness and we're to treat others with respect with common courtesy and we need to value them it doesn't matter how different we are but there should never be anything that is said or done that does not fall in the realm of treating others with respect and value and courtesy, even if we disagree, even if we have personal clashes. <laughs> we need to set that aside. He says, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. So he's not saying you can't take care of yourself. You need to take care of yourself. Obviously, he's saying not only to your own interest. In other words, you need to make sure that you're taken care of, that you're taking care of your, your health, your finances, your family, all of those things, because that benefits the kingdom of God, that benefits the body of, of Christ, that you are taking care of your things. But at the same time, he says, listen, I want you to know that you need to look at the interest of others. 
Philippi was a cosmopolitan city. The, the people that came to this church, and it's also shown in Acts 16, the type of people that were part of this church, they were, they were so different. And somehow they had to come together with all of their differences to be the body of Christ at Philippi, to communicate the gospel, to be a, a partner for the advancement of the gospel and love one another. And so we need to guard against any selfishness and prejudice and jealousy that might lead to dissension. We need to genuinely have an interest in others. I take the time. You're not going to be the best friend to everybody in here because we can't do that. You've got 150, 180 people. You're not connecting with everybody, but you need to connect to those that have concerns and need. You need to find those that God is leading you to, to walk with them through their difficult times as they will walk through you. And we should not look at anybody and say, oh, I, can't, I can't engage with them because I have an issue with them. I'm prejudiced. The genuine interest, he says. He says, listen, considering others' interest is more important than your own links us with Christ who was the true example of humility because he left the glories of heaven to come to us a bunch of misfits to give us life everlasting and to express his love unconditionally we we should do that at the very least to one another we're not here to make a good impression we are here to worship Almighty God through Christ. We are here as the family of faith to make a, a difference. We are here because we have a unified partnership with Christ. Every one of us, it's a common denominator. And he says, listen, here, here are the five blessings I've given you to be one, to be unified, to be like-minded. Not only is Paul wanting to be joyful, but Christ is looking at us saying, I want to be joyful. So be like-minded. Put aside those little things. And let's have the same love. Let's have the genuine interest. Let's be unified in that harmonious one, one sold. And let's have compassion for one another. And let's love each other without any barriers or bonds. He said, in that way, you will bring glory to God. You'll love each other. And you will see the power of God's Spirit. Father, we come to our invitation this morning and we just ask you to help us in humility, in our unified outlook and in our consideration of others you've blessed us you've gifted us help us to understand that we are a family of faith and together we walk unified arm in arm and hand in hand to accomplish your values which is to make the gospel known around the world and to meet the needs of people everywhere starting right here it takes time it takes effort it takes a genuine interest and God I pray today we would choose to do that 
in our invitation, God, where there are decisions to make, that we have to make adjustments in our lives to fit what Paul is saying. I pray this morning we'll do it in the pews where we are or in a public way. For those that are looking for a church home, and Father, you have told them this is the place as we walk forward together, the, the family of faith, the bond that we have. We pray that they'll come. And God, today, where there are those that need to have salvation, in other words, they need a relationship with Jesus, that they would come as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Stand and sing our invitation, please. seated if you would for Nancy speaks um, and we're not going to show that video today um, we are launching relaunching the watchman prayer ministry and in this main foyer when you leave the board to sign up for the hour that you would like will be there I can't emphasize how important it is that as many as possible sign up for that hour the, the, the focus of the watchman prayer ministry as you've read in so many of our publications is revival and spiritual awakening in the ministries of this church. And so I would ask you, join together, unify with a like-mindedness to, to try to get as many hours through the course of this week that we pray for God's spiritual movement to come. So please, at the end of the service, there will be those that will be helping you in this main foyer to pick out that hour and make sure that we have that all put together. And that will continue on. You can call the office tomorrow. Uh, but this will continue, and we'll have our launch on March 5th. But today is that first day to sign up. Ms. Hanson? There are also a number of sign-up sheets in each of the lobbies, the small and the main lobby. And the one that we need you to sign up for today, or at least by noon tomorrow at the latest, is for the movie lunch, which will be this Thursday at 1230. The movie Legacy Peak 
will be free of charge with free popcorn and water at 1. But if you want to come for lunch at 12.30, we do need you to sign up for that. There are also tickets being sold in the small lobby for the Spring Fling, which will be on Sunday afternoon, March the 12th at 5. And you'll see that Heidi Hernandez will be our entertainment. She'll be playing her harp, doing a concert on secular and show tunes, and you'll not want to miss that. Men, you have a shelving party and cookout this coming Saturday. You've read about that in your bulletin and in other publications, but you do need to sign up for that as well. In each of the lobbies, there are still baby bottles for you to pick up if you haven't already or if you want to take another one to fill for New Life Pregnancy Center. I hope that you will take your bulletin, insert on one side is the Watchman Prayer Ministry, on the other side the six small group studies which began last Wednesday. It is not too late for you to join one of those this coming Wednesday at 4. Would you stand as Beth Finley makes her way to lead us in our closing prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's a joy to be here today as one body, worshiping the same God, studying your Bible together, and sharing your message with one another. Be with us, Lord, as we leave this place and bless our path. Help us to be mindful of your word each step of the way. Lord, may we present a good witness to your gospel. May we let your Holy Spirit lead us and guide us to be caring, loving children of faith. May we be alert to your will, O Lord. Open the right doors and close the right doors that we will follow you closely and be a good witness. I pray we will remain available to you, O Lord, in whatever you would ask us to do. We know you love us and have good plans for us, Lord. We thank you and praise you, Father. May we find your joy in each day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.